recorded in front of a live audience. That's right, we're at the Brink Lounge, 701 East Washington Avenue, right down the hill from the Capitol Building in Madison, Wisconsin. We're your hosts, I'm Mary Gaines and Chris Wagoner. Welcome, thanks for coming. We are here tonight, very pleased to be here with Mr. Jim Schwal. I woke up this morning, I went right back to bed. Cause this sounds like a blues song and I don't want to end up dead I know this is a blues song Yeah, I know this is a blues song I could end up dead Cause that's what happens in a blues My woman left me They always do when you're in a blues song, man, that's what happens to you. I know this is a blues song. I know this is a blues song. Your woman always leaves you, cause that's what happens in a blues. Going to the bridge. Well, I was riding down the highway in a Chevrolet. Cause they won't allow my Prius in a blues song, man, no way. A police pulled me over, says, what you doing, boy? Just the way they do in Chicago, Illinois. I cut him up my razor, went upside my head. I think this is the part of the song where I end up dead. I know this is a blues song. Yeah, I know this is a blues song. Went upside my head. Cause that's what happens in a blues And of course there's a solo, right Chris? Cause it's been decades since anybody plowed with a mule But I know this is a blues song Yeah, I know this is a blues song I was plowing with a mule Cause that's what happens in a blues Yeah, you know my woman left me Cause that's what happens in a blues Thank you. And you gotta love a line about you can't you can't drive a Prius in a blues song. <laughs> <laughs> and you and you would know about that. You have you drive a Prius. Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. And you would know what you can and can't do in a blues in song. In a blues song, Because you've right. been playing blues songs. Yeah, the, the list of acceptable vehicles are, you know, <laughs> it's very short. It's Ford or Chevy, pretty oh, much, yeah. you know. Oh. 
Cadillac. Cadillac, and, yeah. That's still GM, though. Yeah, that's right. It's all the same. Oh, yeah. Good point. And colors. <laughs> color, colors of cars. Black. It's got to be black Cadillac. Uh, or pink. Th- yeah, two-tone. Two-tones are yeah. good. You know, just... Yeah. Uh, like, you know, like, um, what was it? Salmon and charcoal. That was a real popular combo back, you know, 40 Ooh. years ago. And the same goes for your shoes or your hat. <laughs> so, Jim, what you been doing lately? Uh, retuning this guitar. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much done. So now we, now we can talk. Yeah. <laughs> so you're from the um, Siegel Schwal uh, fame. Yeah, yeah, that's a you know that's a moribund outfit these days. It's like one which is one step away from defunct. Uh-huh. Um, but there's a I've been playing with a bunch of other people around here. Yeah, right. I do uh, I do this you know it's acoustic guitar thing, and I play with uh, Sodang Yang with Marcus Bovary um, with yeah. Marcus Bovary right featuring his songs, and uh, I play with the Cajun Strangers, which oddly enough play Cajun music. Cool figure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a concept for They you. tried doing disco, but it just wasn't... Yeah, it didn't, didn't work. Didn't take. Yeah, right. Besides, disco is never in three-quarter time, uh, <laughs> ever. I never thought of yeah. that. You're right. <laughs> wow. Because it's got to be... It's yeah. got to go with boots, 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 boots. Oh, that's the modern thing, though, isn't it? You go into the dance yeah. club, it's boots, boots, boots. Oh, boots, that's what they're boots, saying. Boots, I never knew. Boots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so three, four would be like boots, 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 boots. Yeah, it, it's not yeah, the same. It wouldn't be the same. <laughs> no. I mean, just you know, John Travolta would dislocate something and it would, <laughs> wouldn't whole, work. That whole era would have been shot had John Travolta yeah. like never existed. But yeah, C- Cajun music—that's the fun part of it—is that uh, almost all American music, you know, including you know jazz, just about everything. It's it's ninety-nine percent. It's all four-four. Not only that is four beats per measure, but yeah. usually the measures come in four-bar phrases, you know, everything is four. Mm-hmm. And those Cajun fiddlers, I guess nobody told them, they didn't get the memo, <laughs> because they think two and a half is a perfectly good number. Yeah. And just, so it keeps you on your toes. The bass players are probably all insane, aren't they? You play bass in that band. Yeah, actually. I play bass in that band. Oh, yeah, yeah. I yeah, bass bass is the entry level instrument in a Cajun band. You have to be uh uh you have to have been playing for fifty years before they let you play the accordion. So Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's so that it's interesting when you go out in the in the small towns in Cajun country, very often the fiddle player and the accordion player will be older than sand and you know and that <laughs> You know, and the, the bass player and the drummer will be like their grandchildren or something. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's, wow. Yeah. The, that's the progression. And I just started playing this music, so I'm, I'm the bass player. Yeah. I got a kick out. We got together with Jim last night, run through some stuff, and, and, and we've done that in the past. And, and usually when, when the three of us get together, it generally involves bottles of Spanish wine, smoked oysters, and uh, cheese of some sort. Yeah, and, usually some... Combination and, of those things. Yeah, <laughs> and and at least uh, at least two hours of talking, and then some practice <laughs> before we finally get around to. So yeah. we love practicing together. I mean, <laughs> it's just a riot. But I, I got a kick out of you talking about some of the gigs, um, playing with the Cajun Strangers, and it, it it makes sense. You know, that some people would hire you thinking that, oh, you can play Zydeco. It's a Cajun band. It's like no, uh, well maybe, yeah. but it's you know. 
Yeah, no, it's very, very different. Uh, you know, they, they all have their own clubs and their own, it's a, it's a completely different thing. Yeah. Um, we we started playing a few Zydeco songs just because people ask us to. And and actually, you don't even have to play Zydeco songs. You can play Cajun fiddle tunes as long as you have a rub board yeah. and, and the bass player plays it funky. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, you know, you can get away with a lot that way. Actually, there's a lot of bands down there that do that, too, that mix, mix and match the material pretty much. And as long as you keep the people dancing, that's really the thing. Well, it? it is about dancing. Yeah, yeah, it's totally about dancing. It's not. I'm, I've played in. You know, you know, you play especially, especially like college towns are the worst for this. It, it takes like about a, the first set and a half for everybody yeah. to feel drunk enough that they can dance. You know, yeah. that's not true. You you play a Cajun dance and they're on the dance floor when you're tuning. You know, they're ready. It's like, <laughs> you go. go. You're still sober. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and, and, and I'm still sober. <laughs> um, I don't know if sobriety has anything to do with it, but whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can work off a lot of alcohol if you dance to every song. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. calories, too. I and calories, that, yeah. yeah. So we... So the Siegel Schwal Band, you guys met, just to talk about that briefly, because if, if people don't know who you are, they, they need to know this too. Very important. Um, uh, you guys, you met Corky Siegel in college, and you guys yeah, actually school. formed, oh, okay, in music school, mm-hmm. and formed the, the uh, Siegel Schwal Band, right. which you guys toured constantly for quite a while, for 10 years, put out. For about 10 years. Yeah. yeah there was a dozen or so albums. On Vanguard and, uh, and Label and Wooden Nickel. Actually, we toured for about a year before it occurred to us that we, you know, we should maybe drop our classes since we hadn't been there, you know, in three months or something. <laughs> and just, but um, that was it. That was, the, that was the last semester. It took me 20 years to get around to going back and finishing school. Uh, <laughs> And you, but you did finish. You did. I mean, that's amazing. Uh, you yeah. went back and got a doctorate in music composition. I remember a, a good a mutual friend of ours had known you, and uh, she had told me a little bit about you, and then mentioned your background, and I knew who you were, and then said, and I didn't know at the time. It's like that you'd gotten a doctorate in music composition. You're a professor of music, teaching composition in universities, and that you had just finished an, uh, writing. A, I think it was an opera. Is that? Yeah, I wrote a couple operas. One of them was my dissertation project. We had a couple performances of that one here in Madison. And uh, then another one a couple years later that was also done here, among other places. And you, you may be the only blues guitarist on the planet that's ever done that. Possibly. <laughs> yeah, maybe. That could be. That's yep. quite a combination of things. Yeah, it is. Well, I guess you love music a few... Um, I, I've been pretty much open to all kinds of music my whole life, I guess. Uh, I'm kind of the universal donor when it comes, comes to uh, substituting at WORT. Just, yeah. <laughs> just, you know, they call me for jazz shows and folk shows and whatever. And I do a regular classical show. Right. But that, that, so. does, that must really keep it interesting, too. I mean, obviously oh, yeah. playing in different bands and then... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, you know, that's, that's, that's the point. Um, and it just, yeah, it would be really hard for me, I think, to be in one of those bands that really cranked it out for a long period of time. I mean, I've done it, you know, I've done touring things. I played in a house band once in Chicago, so, you know, same five guys plugging into the same five amps every night, you know, yeah. and, and, uh, but not for years. I mean, yeah. you know, it didn't last forever. Well, I was wondering, how did, did, 
um, did your studies of, of classical forms and things, did that influence your, your blues playing, your rock playing, or your writing? I mean, because it seems no, like not, not really playing. Yeah. Um, occasionally uh, writing, because occasionally yeah. I'll, I'll find that there's, there just isn't a form that I need for this particular set of lyrics, and I'll start thinking about other things. Yeah. And, and uh, so all those, all those doors are open. They're all possibilities. How did your um, blues playing and stuff affect your classical writing? Well, you, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of funny. You, you might be surprised to know how many um, music school college professors have a Stratocaster under the bed. Oh, yeah. It, it's uh, it's not, a, not an uncommon okay. thing at all. Pretty, pretty broad-minded. Yeah, anymore. yeah. There's, there's a real lot of them. I mean, the, you know, the head theory guy at UW's music school plays jazz. You know, I mean, just, you know, there was a time when uh, orchestras were much more purist, too, than they are these days. These days, it's, you know, you, you especially, especially with one of the slightly smaller orchestras like Milwaukee or Madison or something, if you polled the musicians in the orchestra, you'd probably find that about two-thirds of them have a rock band or a jazz combo or something. Yeah, kind of an alter ego. An or, alter ego, yeah. yeah. Well, in a way, I think the economy has forced us all to <laughs> do everything. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, there may be economic forces there for yeah. sure. <laughs> but at least it's a really good thing for musicians, because yeah. then we get mm -hmm. broader ideas and stuff. Yeah. You want to do another song? Yeah, sure. Um, I retuned a little bit for this one. It's a little bit unusual for me. I'm not a big uh, co-writer. I know, um, so I know a lot of songwriters. That's their that's their, like their thing is to find different partners to write with. And of course, the history is there. You know, Dorothy Fields and Jimmy McHugh and uh, the Gershwin brothers and you know those songwriting teams. I just never do that. But about a year and a half ago, I was doing this project where uh, with a bunch of other people, where you try and write a song every other day. And it got to about the end of the month, and I was starting to get a little bit, uh, it was getting a little harder to come up with ideas for another song every other day. And uh, ended up writing two songs with my wife, which ended up kind of cool. This is one. Distracted, I find myself grinning. Oh, my fantasies carry me away. But then I wake up and find me alone again. The pressures at work have been building up like a storm. My composure's about shot My nerves are all torn 
Well, that pile on my desk tells me I'm gonna be here till 10. No time to cook. Damn, it's pizza again. That was fun. Yeah. It's, it's so wonderful. We've all played in big bands with, with great drummers and, you know, lots of volume that make your, your pant legs flap. And that's well, very exciting. But there's something, you know, you can't beat about playing in a place like this that's so intimate that you can hear fingers brushing the strings. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. it, it's something that you simply don't, get at a big concert there's no way and it's hard to play with any dynamics and you know i mean really good bands can do to get there but it's, it's so hard you know you start a big rock show and it's like it's loud at the beginning <laughs> and at some point you can't get any louder and it's not going to get any softer so <laughs> you kind of miss some of that or a yeah lot of there's that a stuff. there's a um a pretty funny austin lounge lizard song about where they where they purposely sing as quietly as possible <laughs> and barely play, and that's because we're just setting up the point where we get to the loud part, and, and then they keep going back and forth, and then we're quiet again. It's a really funny song, but I don't know it though. <laughs> I'd I'd like to learn that song. <laughs> a lot a lot of a lot of students 
Actually, it was interesting. I was listening to uh, probably WRT, a classical show. It might have been WRN, but um, um, the, the guy in there that talks about, he describes uh, classical forms and things and discusses it. It was really interesting. So the discussion was about um, um, Italian composers. And um, he mentioned the, the person, the first composition were piano and forte, piano meaning to play softly, P and F, the marking forte means loud in music, but this is the first piece where some co so the composer had actually written it into the piece of music so the uh -huh. musicians would know that the composer wanted them to play softly or loudly at different spots. And, and that was pretty interesting. Yeah, that's true. When you go back a ways, you have to look for, for clues that are actually in the music as to you know, when it's supposed to crash your skull and when it's supposed to back yeah. off. But a piano is actually um, called a pianoforte. That's what the, it comes from, that same word. It later got shortened to piano, but it was because it was an instrument that could play soft or it could play loud. Yeah. Oh, I never knew that. Yeah. <laughs> you would think that the title of the piano would have something to do with like box with strings or something like that. It's something yeah, a little more descriptive, you, you know. Yeah. yeah, it'd be the Italian word for box of strings or something, but yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It was just... <laughs> Those Italians, I don't know. I get a different word for everything. Isn't that like guitar, though? Box with strings? Never mind. More like a box with strings. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but you play a lot of different stuff. I mean, we could... You want to just launch into this one? This is a great... Want to just what? Launch into this tune here? Sure. Yeah, I don't think this needs any introduction. <laughs> Never been the Jesus type 
you don't even pray but if you want to socialize well I guess that's okay I got no idea when or where she met whatever scumbag she's meeting but I've come to hate that dress her Sunday go to cheating kind of a sports guy Sunday's my big day for catching up on NASCAR baseball and the NBA but she was always after me to work around the place well I could stand some peace and quiet with no one in my face I just said alright I really didn't care Then I finally figured out She ain't wearing no underwear Now if I ever catch that guy He's gonna get a beating And then I'll burn that damn blue dress For Sunday go Thank you. <laughs> I was worried that maybe we need chicken wire for that tune. Yeah. <laughs> stage, but, but you guys are very polite. I appreciate no bottles. You ever had a bottle thrown at you on stage? Not a bottle, but a shot glass. Oh, that's even worse. Shot glass, yeah. And oh. it, was, it was this really dumb band that I was in back in college, uh, strictly for monetary gain. I used to play these gigs with Kip Clark and the Ravens. And uh, Kip Clark had three white Fenders, uh, two jazz masters and a Fender bass that were all white. And when you played with Kip Clark and the Ravens, you played his instruments. So everybody had white Fenders. That was part of the deal. And that turned out to be a good thing because I discovered that a, a solid body Fender guitar will deflect the shot glass and not even go out of tune. <laughs> and it was his guitar, even better. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One of our favorite scenes, uh, well, it's really brutal, actually, but you've seen this Rolling Stones video where uh, um, Keith, Richards. Keith Richards is on stage and somebody manages to get past security. And you know, it's a huge stage. And the guy gets, this big, fairly big guy gets past security and he's starting to run toward. Uh, Keith. Keith is in the middle of playing. He swings off his guitar without, without blinking just an eye, and just go smoothly. and just bats him. He's go pow. You know, <laughs> it's like line drive. Back on in like one smooth. Yeah, and motion. the guy is just laid out on the stage. The security comes up and drags the guy off, and Keith just keeps just playing. Back to playing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and they, and they later asked him, when they talked about it. Yeah. yeah. He said. Well, what would you do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, and also he said... He was scared because this guy was running. He also said, this, yeah. is, this is my stage, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. 
you can't get a proprietary thing like that, I guess. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's like, you can't come in my room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, now I've, uh, most of the, mostly the music that I've played most of my life doesn't seem to engender that sort of ing- aggression. You know, I don't, I don't know. It's just, you yeah. know, everybody's just kind of like, that's cool, man. You, know, so I, you, know. <laughs> you, you told us a great story last night. I heard, hadn't heard this one. Um, when you were with, uh, uh, I, knew, I knew about this, when you, with, with the, the heyday of the, the Siegel Schwal band, you guys, at some point, somebody wrote, was it a symphony or a, uh, what would you call it? Um, it was, yeah, essentially, it's a symphony. It's a th- three movements for blues band and orchestra. And, and you performed uh, that with who? Um, a bunch of different orchestras, uh, just to start with the big ones, Boston and Los Angeles, or uh, San Francisco and Chicago. And, um, oh, Toronto. We played at a bunch of places, mostly with um, Seiji Ozawa conducting, since the whole thing was his idea. But then later we played, played it with other people. We played it with Kenneth Shermerhorn over in Milwaukee with yeah. that, their symphony a few years ago. A bunch of years ago now. He's been gone a while. So, so whose bright idea was that? Did, some, did, a, did a writer just it was, call you guys up? And say, no, it was Ozawa's idea. Oh, okay. He would... Um, he was a summer conductor when we first met him at uh, Ravinia, and he, he told this guy who was a music critic um, that he would like to see some American blues bands. And so the music critic brought him down and introduced him to us, and he would come down after, you know, conducting his performance at Ravinia, and then he would yeah. come down, you know, by 12.30 or so, and he'd come you know watch our last uh, the last of our show and it was his idea to have the the piece written because he said i could never learn to sit in with you guys so you're gonna have to sit in with me and that, that's how it happened that's cool no it's kind of it's kind of interesting too that we got a little bit of a break some of the big orchestras in those days were pretty stodgy but the first one we played it with was chicago yeah. And that's where I went to school. So, you know, I knew about 15 people or so around the orchestra pretty well. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it it did. Helped. It helped a little, you know, because those 15 yeah. were going, hey, he can read music, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, because you studied and you went to, to uh, one of the colleges that you studied at was in Chicago. In Chicago, yeah, yeah. The Chicago Musical College was part of uh, Roosevelt University. Okay. Yeah, because you know there's that joke about how do you get a guitar player to shut up? I mean, or to stop playing and you put yeah, a piece of music in front of them. Put music in front of them, <laughs> yeah. That's just cruel. <laughs> oh, oh so that, the, one of the best parts of the story, though, I thought, about the, the blues band and orchestra is when you were playing with the Boston Pops. Oh, that was interesting. With yeah, Arthur those were, Fiedler. Those were, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and those shows were all televised, so they, they had a, a certain format. They had to fit things into that one hour or whatever it was. And uh, we had a discussion. He had, he had this one brand of whiskey that he always drank. And it used to be uh, one of the things on his show, it would show him, you know, before the concert, coming into his office and going through a bunch of batons, you know, and picking, finding the, the baton that was perfect for tonight, you know, and waving around a little. And then someone would hand him a drink, and he'd use the baton to stir the drink. <laughs> so there was a, a cut he wanted to make in the piece that I thought was the wrong place to cut. I thought it was, 
developmentally that you know it had to be there otherwise what happened after didn't make sense and you could cut in you know in a, in a different movement yeah. much more effectively and i tried to convince him of that and uh he said um well no it's already been done you know the parts are marked and you know and I, that 12 bars is just it just doesn't fit you know we don't have the time so i went out after the rehearsal and to i found a liquor store that had one of those centennial bottles of, you know, his favorite brand of bourbon, uh-huh. all covered with dust and everything, and I bought it and I gave it to him. And uh, he, just, he just looked at the bottle and looked up at me and smiled and said, okay, you get your 12 bars. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't happen very often, I bet. Yeah. Quick thinking. Yeah, it's kind of a character. Yeah. yeah. How'd you find out what his favorite... His favorite uh... Oh, I saw him drinking it. Oh, okay, Swizzle stick. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. yeah, I always wondered that about batons. You know that there, that I, I could see that the conductors having their little rack of batons in there, and some. You know, one day they feel like oh, I think I'll go with the yeah, uh, right Mahler. Yeah, no, yeah. not right. <laughs> oh yes, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and I wonder if it's ever, ever like on the Bugs Bunny c- cartoons. You know where they have the like the pool player chalk thing, and they go out. And, <laughs> Haven't seen that. No, no I've never seen that either. Um, Let's see. Yeah, oh, a long time ago, we were, we were talking. I, I had a student. No, I had a. There was an acquaintance of mine that was interested in electronic music, and I think mm-hmm. I was telling you about it. I don't remember how how round roundabout way this ended up happening, but I found out that you had studied and were working in some early electronic music. And I thought you've just done so many different things. That's one of the things I really find well, fascinating. Yeah, about I. I what this is back when I was doing, and it was in the. Um, uh, days before synthesizers, yeah. when you uh, you recorded sounds whatever way you could, you know, out in the street, you know, those kind of mu- musique concrète uh-huh. sounds, or you made them in the studio by, oh, I don't know, I uh, squeaked wine bottle corks and all kinds of things like that. And then you take these tape pieces and you, you know, and you cut them up and the way you want them, you speed them up, slow them down, reassemble them, and compose that way. It's kind of time-consuming, as you might su- <laughs> yeah. suggest. But actually, the first uh, electronic composing studio in Chicago was not in a school of music. In uh, the early 60s, none of them were interested in it. You know, Ten years later, you had to have yeah. that kind of facility, but not then. And um, I ended up uh, putting one together at the Art Institute, Instead, uh, where they allowed me, they gave me this kind of oversized uh, um, closet, essentially, uh-huh. <laughs> a broom closet. And, but they helped me assemble all the equipment, put it down in there. They put a lock on the door for me and everything. So the first electronic music studio was in, was in the Art Institute. Uh, the, and the reason they did it was because I was uh, creating film scores for their, for their experimental movies. Oh, yeah for the students' experimental movies. Interesting. Yeah. Well, and, and a very different thing than now, of course, you know, because you weren't sampling anything. You weren't, there was nothing, uh, um, it was all analog. It, wasn't, it was all was analog. Digital it was all, it all magnetic tape, pieces yeah. of tape. Yeah. So, but I suppose, I mean, we all, we make music on what we have, whatever technology we have yeah. at the time. Actually, but, my favorite composer from that era, from the cut and splice, you know, tape, yeah. is a guy named Todd Dockstader in New York. 
um, who, interestingly, his background was not in music at all. He was an art student yeah. <laughs> who ended up with a job in a recording studio, and he had access to all these you know, machines, and the stuff was all there. This is in the days when the tape recorders they used were the size of uh, a oh, kitchen yeah. stove, <laughs> roughly. <laughs> you know? And um, at night, after everybody left, he would mess with the machines and make them do all sorts of things they you know, weren't supposed to do. And he created this great music, just it's wonderful. There's, about, there's several hours of it still in existence. A lot of it played on really, really late night New York radio. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then in the late 60s, uh, keyboard controlled synthesizers started to come out. And he quit. He said, that takes all the fun out of it. It's not interesting to me anymore. Huh. It's too easy. Too, yeah, right. Too easy. You don't have to actually create it. I suppose yeah. well, we could talk about this more in a, little, in a little bit, but you're also a photographer, and it would be interesting to hear your, your views on digital photography versus, versus uh, film. film. Yeah, it, um, I don't know. If, I mean, the, the analogy is... is film is just, it's pretty much gone. It's, yeah. you know, it's an artifact now. I mean, when I, first got, when I got my first good digital camera, I still carried a 35-millimeter reflex when I went on shooting trips. Yeah. Um, and then slowly but surely I wasn't using the 35 as much anymore. <laughs> yeah. And then one day it got left behind. But in the meantime, the digital cameras were getting better. The early ones had really terrible color. Mm-hmm. But they figured out pretty soon that, you know, well, this is what we have to improve. And they did. Wow. So, yeah, so these days it's, it's digital. I haven't, uh, I haven't bought a roll of film in a long time now. Yeah, we were in an interesting. Um, Chris was getting some pictures taken for a for a book he's putting out, or anyway. And the whole <laughs> studio, the entire floor of this warehouse, all they had was digital cameras. There was not a dark room in sight. Right. And it was weird for me because I grew up with my father, always using the bathroom. Yeah, you know? I have one of had... his prints actually. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> and we only had one bathroom, so it was kind of like, Daddy, yeah. hurry yeah, up. Yeah, right, exactly. And he's a chemist, so it's perfect, you know, because he's saying, well, this, you know, that, you know, and I have not a clue what he's talking well, about. Trays but it's... all over everything, yeah. all those little brownies. Well, there, there is something about that, that, you know, there's one, like doing um, color photography was, you know, that was never quite that interesting to me. Uh, I always wanted to find a different way to get the color in, which I eventually did. But, but color photography is done in total darkness. And, you know, when you, after you've exposed your, your piece of paper or film yeah. or whatever it is you're exposing, you roll it up and put it in a sealed tube that has the ends are designed so you can pour liquids in and out. Mm-hmm. And all you do is pour things in, stand there with a watch and a, thermos and a thermometer, yeah. and then, you know, okay, it's time, pour the liquid off, pour the next liquid in, you know. And it's, it's, it takes away the magic of watching oh, yeah. a picture, a black and white picture in the tray appear before your eyes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I've done it thousands and thousands of times, and it, you, never, you never get over that thrill of like, wow, the picture's coming up. Yeah. 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 It's really neat. So that digital, you don't have that. What you do have with digital, though, is, first of all, you don't have to bracket with film a lot of the time I was guessing so I would shoot every shot three times one that I thought was correct and one a little brighter and one a little darker yeah um so you have to do that because you can see and that's the amazing thing I mean you've you know those little things on the backs of the cameras aren't good for much but they are good for seeing instantly what you just took right well this this show's gonna be really interesting for 
you know, for, for photographers and people interested in electronic music and, uh, and blues and, and orchestra people <laughs> and, uh, and jazz players. This next song is, a, and this is great. We're, we're happy to be, to be able to join you on, on a lot of these tunes or all of this, maybe. But this, yeah. this tune is uh, um, a kind of a jazzy. Yeah, very jazz. Yeah, I was, I'd never done it, and I was looking to try and do it. So, um, you know, I, I, uh, I mulled about uh, some, like, Duke Ellington songs for a little while, and then, and then I came up with this one. Sounds close. the best thing since sliced bread All my best ideas are still unsaid I'm certainly no thoroughbred Yeah, but somehow I've got your love I've never been someone's ideal I'm not the guy invented the wheel Or a solar-powered automobile but somehow I've got your love Hey, I don't know how You fell in love with me Yeah, but you're with me now I guess it was destiny I can't control the temperature and cancer still has no cure I don't contribute to literature Yeah, but somehow I've got your love Ah, oh, Chris destiny I can't control the temperature I don't contribute to literature I'm afraid cancer still has no cure yeah but somehow I've got it right here in my pocket somehow I've got your love Thank you. Thank you. When did you write that one? Pardon? When did when did you write that? It's been oh, around for too long. A year ago, maybe yeah. sometime in the last year. Was it part of the uh, the series where you were writing lots of tunes? I think it was right after that, actually. Yeah, yeah. you know, I take take a couple of weeks off, and uh, you know, trying to write a song every other day, everything you get behind a little bit, so. 
And then you have to like do laundry, you know. <laughs> Life gets <laughs> take, in the way. Take care of your malnutrition. But um, when I did start to uh, have time to pick guitars up again, I think it's when I wrote that one. We're all reaching for different axes here. Yeah, yeah. Jim's right. got 12 strings on his. I've got, I happen to have 12 on mine, but they're on two different necks. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, I got the, uh, this is the pit bull of guitars. I mean, it's, it's dangerous and unpredictable. <laughs> I would love to have a 12 string. But... <laughs> Well, about um, a couple years back, I, uh, I had my six-string guitar, which is normally the one that I pick up, you know, it sits around the living room, in the uh, shop. Um, and I knew, you know, how fast the repairman here in Madison works, and I knew I wouldn't see it again till Thanksgiving, so it gave me an excuse to go buy a 12-string. Kind of always wanted one, though. And I wrote a love song with it. Naturally, picked the most horrible sounding instrument, you know, the battle axe of guitars, and <laughs> write a love song. To be lonely, at least no one I ever knew. Yeah, but finding your one and only ain't the easiest thing to do. It seems like there's always something interfering with how love grows. The frost is soon on the pumpkin Or the bloom is off the rose But I think this time I won the prize I found someone who really tried She's as pretty as her flowers I can talk to her for hours And they say she's easy on the eyes On the eyes I think this time I won the prize I've always wanted this kind of lover seem brand new every day Yeah, but somehow or other One of us just couldn't stay So I just kept reaching for the brass ring Hoping next time would be the charm Yeah, but real love ain't for the asking and there's never any warning alarm 
I've just begun to realize How real love intensifies well, She's a big city pearl Still a sweet country girl I think this time I won the prize Won the prize And they say she's easy on the eyes Thank you. You've got a, you have a solo CD called Getting Old, 2007, recorded live in different Madison coffee houses. I like that. It's on you of your little records. That's a great way to do it, I mean, right? I mean, you, so you get this great audience reaction, and, and uh, I, I, just, I bet most musicians, I mean, the, the studio experience is, is cool because it's, there's this control. You know, if you, if, you get, if, if you don't get the right take, you can do it again, you can do it again. But this thing about doing it live, which is one it's, thing we like about doing what we're doing here. It's kind of inspiring, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I recorded a, two sets on three different nights. Um, well, actually, two different nights. One of them, the, the recording wasn't usable. But um, it's out of those four hours, it's a one-hour CD. So, you yeah. know, I mean, that was all picking and choosing. So in retrospect, there's some choices. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, you also play, well, Bar Time Lovers, are you guys still doing that? Uh, it's kind of on hiatus. Yeah. Doesn't seem to be the right time to start a new band, you know, <laughs> economics again. Yeah. yeah. But the Jim Schwal Band, you're still playing with Andy Ewan? Our, our, our good friend Andy, Andy was on a while back, and he's with a, a great Madison band called Honor Among Thieves. But I love watching you guys play together. This is no, we, we just haven't gotten around to it. I'm not yeah. sure why, but um, I mean, we just, you know, had dinner together last week, and every time we do, it's kind of like, well, why don't we, we should play some more. Okay. Yeah. Except then no one does it, so yeah. you know you have to make phone calls. But I know that's it's, the it's, ugly part of music it's, business. It's cool. It's, it's just like old friends, though. We have a lot of dear old friends that aren't in our immediate circle anymore because we're you know we all we're all busy. It happens to everybody. Yeah. But there's still whenever you get together, it's like you know it's like you'd never left. It's sort of like uh, you saw them yesterday, and you just kind of pick up where you where you left off, and that's a neat thing. That meter is just not responding to that note. I'll try a different one. It's a, it's a pretty note. I like that note. Either one of those will huh. do. Oh, there we go. Okay, now I'm getting a reading. <laughs> oh, this tune's cool. We got it. Yeah, yeah, we do have time for a couple more. This is perfect. Okay. Yep. Yeah, this is a kind of a strange tuning, and the, the strings end up real loose. And I saved it for the end because once it's in this tuning, it's useless for anything else. So I, um, I mean, see how long it's taking me to get there. I mean, it gives you a clue. Yeah. It's a uh, it's an old an old one though. It's a it's goes back to uh, Peter Lang and some of the finger picking guys from the 50s and 60s used uh -huh. to use it. And. Um, I didn't see anybody use it forever, and then and then I went to a Peter Case concert, and he played in C tuning all night. I was running around everywhere, you know, grabbing you know all the yeah. guitar players by their coattails. He's playing C tuning, and I'm going, <laughs> "What? 
<laughs> but he, he used it exclusively, he used it all night. He just moved a capo around to do some different things. And this, the reason I'm playing this particular song, would bother to tune it, is because it's the last song I wrote. And every songwriter thinks the last song they wrote is the best one, of course. So There, there must be some syndrome related to that, some word. Oh, we'll look for that word. Well, yeah, I'm right, writing, right. I call it relief. Yeah. Relief <laughs> that it's done and that you don't hate it. Right. That's yeah. true, because when something gets... It's, you know, it's funny though that sometimes you can, there can be a song you can be totally sick of, you know. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if 10 years from now I, I started pulling out some songs I wrote for Siegel Schwal again because, you know, I won't have played them in, you know, this really long time. So that might, might make sense again. This, this song is called uh, Lime Green Leisure Suit. Uh, I think everybody here is old enough to know what a leisure suit is, right? I just don't have to explain it. All right, no, it doesn't want to come up either. Close enough. <laughs>
they touched her alcohol The lime green leisure suit was everywhere We went back up and we played our last song When I turned around he wasn't there We went back and we played an encore And then the bar turned up the house lights The girls sat alone just like before Pretty clear something wasn't right crowd filtered out but the girl didn't move I stopped and said hey you okay she said I got married this afternoon I think I might have made a mistake he got drunk at the reception then he brought me here till he found someone willing to fight now he's laying out back waiting for his head to clear yeah I guess I'll be all right Thanks for asking, I'll be alright Just another Saturday night Thank you Is it a real story? Yeah <laughs> Yep the place was actually called Dave's Bar in Prairie Sheen, Wisconsin huh. Is it still around? I don't know I haven't looked for it in quite a long time. <laughs> Are you switching instruments again? I am, again. Yeah. So we do have time for one more. This is a really good one to go out on. Yeah, but when's your next gig? Where are you playing? Yeah. What's that? When's your next gig? Where are you playing? Oh, well, let's see. Um, Next Monday night, I play at the Crystal Corner. That's a bar time gig, <laughs> playing for the door, more or less. Uh-huh. Are you doing 9 solo? 9.30 to 12.30, so I'll play every song I know, and towards the end of the night, probably a couple I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, gosh, what else is coming up? I know there's some other stuff, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. This Saturday, I'm going up to Portage to um, play a biker bar. That'll be, look, that'll be fun. Uh-huh. Uh, I go up and I play a bunch of traditional blues for half an hour, and then, and then they give me a band. To <laughs> and we play some non-traditional blues or mm-hmm. modern blues or whatever. Interesting. Yeah. I, I do that one every summer. It's a lot of fun. Where's that? Big pig roast. Uh, a place is called the Sidetrack. Sidetrack. It's... Uh, like on Highway 16, um, in the near Portage, out in the country. Yeah, biker bars are fun to pl- uh, fun to play for biker parties if you're playing what they like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is situations. the secret to that, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Probably couldn't get away with zippity doo Probably not. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. I'm not going to make a tuning joke. I'm not. Okay. Um, so, play it? Yeah, let's do it. All right. This is called Annabelle. I made her up, but parts of her exist in other people. Annabelle left town 
she does it But stuff happens when she's around Now no one parties after hours And there ain't no one raising hell Well this town sure is dead without Annabelle But she went out to Oregon Cause she heard stuff about Eugene Straight days of rain, she'd had all she could stand. Hit she ride to Texas with a country band. Annabelle, 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 well, that's her over there, man, talking on herself. You don't know Jack if you don't know Annabelle You know, I just got an email She thinks Austin ain't so hot Sure, they got a music scene, yeah, but that's about all they got. First of all, no one watches Packers games, and it never snows. And all those Austin guys know how to do is strike a pose. You better catch up on your sleep, buddy. Put new strings on that guitar. Keep your fridge full of beer and keep a corkscrew in the car. Maybe you better refill your Viagra too, cause uh, hey, you just never know. Well, Annabelle's coming home, time to start the show. Annabelle, 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 well, that's her by the window there, with her ear glued to her cell. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jim, for coming down. Mr. Jim Schwal. Uh, thank you guys for the plane. <laughs> JimSchwal.com. J-I-M-S-C-H-W-A-L-L.com. Go check out his calendar and all kinds of other things that he does. Thank you so much for coming down to Mad Toast Live. We're here every Tuesday night at the Brink Lounge, 701 East Washington in Madison, Wisconsin. You can check us out on iTunes and madtoastlive.com. Podcasts come out every Monday and Thursday. Special thanks to our front of house engineer and podcast producer, Mr. Andy LaValle from Bear Sound. And thank you all for being here live and listening. Thank you so much.